1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. Let's hear God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, who call, pardon me, I lost my place for a moment there, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of soft suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless your word. We ask that you would plant your word deep within us, give us a desire for your word, but also, O God, give us... Uh, through that work of your Holy Spirit and ability to take in the word, inwardly digest it, and leave different, sanctified, rejoicing in praise, glorifying God, living slightly differently than we used to before, because the word has had its good effect. We pray, O God, this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a lot of fascination with the devil, isn't there, in our day and age, I I believe, and I I don't know enough about it, I would rather not say very much about it, but there is, a, I believe, a series currently playing, a a mixture of sentimental goodness and charming evil, someone who is actually playing uh, Satan, uh, on a television show, I believe, that's, that's rather popular, we, we, we wonder at, at, at the condition of our world, and we live in such a time that we, we wonder what's happening and how has the world descended into such madness and where are the norms that we are used to and why do we see the, the flouting of the law, uh, laws of the land, the affirmation and reaffirmation of sin, the celebration of sin, pride in sin and in its practice. The disintegration of our society, our laws, our culture, our relationships. There's, there's two factors at work. Sin, uh, the result of sin, we live in a fallen world, and the presence of Satan in our world. Both are, are real, both are felt uh, day by day, both can be heard, uh, even by those who are not really listening, if they take notice for a moment. But Christians often put a band-aid on such things and say, well, let go and let God. Uh, But the truth of the matter is that there is much more to be said. There is much more to be, greater actions to be taken as Christians in our world. And that's what Peter is concerned for, that each of us would in some way take seriously uh, where we are and what condition our world is in and the things that you and I have need of contending against and being at war uh, against as well. And so he calls attention in the moment at the end of this letter, this epistle, to those who are exiles, to those who are, uh, who are living in the world and who are not of it, to those who are elect aliens, as it were, is in the language that he used in the very first chapter. They are experiencing suffering, suffering in their context. He's writing to the church in modern Turkey, uh, in, this, in, in the south uh, portion and in the southwestern portion. And they are far from the, the affirming central portion of the church. They are far from the ministry of the apostolic uh, uh, teaching and preaching. Uh, they are in the outskirts. And uh, 
they are very much aware of the fact that they live on the outskirts of Christian society, and uh, they know their deprivation. They know their uh, the, the, they they understand that that uh, well they they experience suffering day by day. Some of them even experiencing uh, a level of persecution that would horrify any one of us. And so, at the end of this epistle, Peter is concerned to make certain that. He gives them a very brief exhortation as to what they ought to do. And so in verse 8 and 9, he tells them, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Well, if we didn't have enough to be concerned about in the world today, uh, you're telling me, uh, Peter is, uh, you're telling me that there is an individual, a being who is in the world presently who wants to devour me. Yes, indeed, that's exactly what Peter is telling the church at that time, and he is telling you and me. Well, who is Satan? His work is to devour humanity, to ruin human souls as he himself is ruined. He is, according to Jude and according to Revelation and other passages that speak to us, of him, he is a deceiver. He is one who comes cloaked in what seems to be innocent apparel. He wants, uh, through deception, to lead uh, every believer to, uh, or, or every unbeliever to be inured and 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 unawoken, uh, not awoken at all to their spiritual uh, malaise, to their spiritual uh, danger, to the danger of God's judgment, and he wants believers to be. Lazy, uh, thoughtless, uh, not aware, as well as, uh, frankly, to be entangled in sin and temptation. He wants to discourage Christians of ever receiving grace or forgiveness from God. If there's one endless accusation with him to believers, it's, it's always and continually, you, you are not worthy. You are not worthy. The names that the Bible uses for him is antidikos, or adversary, or opponent. That's what Peter uses here in this passage. Uh, he is our adversary. If there's an enemy that you have in the world, if you think through your life, and you think through relationships, people that you know, well, uh, who amongst the people that I know are actually my enemies? Because Jesus said, you shall love your enemies. Okay, well, who are my enemies? Well, at the top of the list, must be Satan, and you are not required to love him. He is of a very different sort. He's not merely a a fleshly opposing person, someone who has treated you badly, someone who has spoken words that were harsh to you, another human being created in the image of God, another human being who is potentially able to receive the grace of God if God is willing and if God perhaps even uses your godly conduct to convert them. Satan is quite different. Satan is lost, destroyed. He has destroyed himself. He will never receive the grace of God. It is not offered to him. It is not open to him. He has been condemned already, rejected by God, and there is no savior for him. Christ did not die for Satan, nor for those who are with him. He is your great adversary. He is the opponent of your faith, and he is pledged to destroy you, if he may. His name is Diabolus, used 
here in this passage as well, or diabolane, or diabolical is the root from which we, uh, that we draw from that word. He is a slanderer. He's a liar. He slanders God and he slanders the believer. He casts fiery darts of doubt into our thinking, into our hearts, uh, concerning our God who cares for us and says, surely he doesn't care for you. Surely you have no hope of being cared for by him. He is far too busy. He is far too involved. You are far too unworthy. He casts aspersions. He slanders believers before the very face of God. Job chapters 1 and 2. The sons of God reported to God and Satan himself, the devil, went before God and God said, Have you beheld my servant Job? And Satan, what did he answer him? How did, how, what did he say to God? Well, if you touch him physically, well, that came afterwards, but if you tempt him, let, let me speak to him. Let me deal with him. Let me sift him. He will curse you and die. And then when Job did not, he says, well, let me, let me touch him physically. And surely there's very little that it can afflict a believer and so afflict a believer than the physical that will make us question whether or not God is good to be touched in our human frame. To experience weakness or pain. And of course the devil did that mercilessly against Job. But he did so according to the purposes of God. And Job will eventually get to the point where he will say, I thought I knew of you before, but now I behold you and I see you face to face. And I put my hand over my mouth. I have no complaint to make against you. I can say no further word. I want to listen to what you would teach me. I have need of humility. Behold, speak, your servant listens. Well, Satan's activity here, as Peter outlines, it is to devour. And the word means to drink down, to gulp, to swallow, to destroy, to devour. It's like the gulping down of Jonah by the great fish. Simply the fish came along and there was Jonah and and he went. And that's what the that's what the devil hopes to do with you. He prowls around like a lion, roaring, prowling, seeking. Picture yourself. You know, uh, we we go on a yearly camping trip as uh, for all who are willing, and and typically that means mostly the men go. Um, and and as we go out into the woods, into the wilderness, uh, there are mountain lions. There, there are. We've seen uh, footprints, or I've, I've seen them as 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 a younger man. Uh, there are bears. I've seen bear sign. There are rubbings from deer, and and we hear the coyotes. Just ask my friend Andrew afterwards. He awoke during the night, heard coyotes right next to our campsite, uh, actually right next to he and myself, and yet I never woke up. I was unaware of the danger altogether, but we were fine. But imagine yourself, you're camping out, and you hear the roar of a lion, a deep-throated Roar that, 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 that conveys itself into great distances. And you hear it across the lake and you can hear it drawing closer and closer, prowling and seeking. You hear the roars and you know eventually he's near, but I don't know where he's stalking you. He's going to make contact with you. It's clear to you that the lion is after you. So then what would you do? Would you go to sleep? Would you calmly make your bed, put out the fire, put down your weapons, and go calmly to sleep? No. 
None of us would do that. But but do we not do that with Satan, with the devil, with the one who is our adversary, the great adversary of our soul? Do we do that with regard to spiritual warfare? Have we laid down our swords and really uh, we're unaware of and we've grown deaf to the idea that there is spiritual warfare being waged around us at all moments of every day at every time. So Peter Peter has some counsel to waken us up. The first piece of that counsel is to be sober and be watchful. He says this in verse 8. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert, or be sober-minded and be watchful. Do you remember our, our international response to COVID? What happened? The world was woken uh, was was awoken to the idea that there was a, a a deadly disease, an infection that could infect all of us, that we could spread easily from person to person, and what we needed to do was to take immediate action. What did we do? We all did it, at least initially. We've come to see that COVID is quite different than what it was first represented to be, but. Some of us have lost loved ones. Some of us have seen people who have been sick. Some of us have been sick multiple times even. But you remember our response. Here is an infection. Here is something we should be afraid of. There were newscasts. There were, uh, there were statements from our government, government uh, from our governors, from our president, from, from all the highest levels of the land. We had an immediate national shutdown. We had traveling restrictions. Trillions of dollars were spent and invested, uh, in quotes. Uh, aid was provided. Everyone took it very, very seriously, didn't we? What about global warming? Don't we take that seriously? Well, yes, the world is warming, but what is the reason for why the world is warming is the question. But it's all we hear about. If you hear about the news, you hear it's because of global warming. And we're called to extraordinary superhuman effort to avoid the results of global warming. And there are all sorts of national emergencies that we hear about, and we take them very, very seriously as a society, don't we? And yet here is the word of God saying there is a significant adversary of far greater significance than any other thing. And we just simply say, ho-hum, I can't wait for lunch. What am I doing later today? Peter says, well, you need to be more serious than that. You need to think a little bit more carefully about your life. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Shouldn't we take seriously the threat that Satan represents to our faith? Sure, some of us could die from COVID. Some of us have died from COVID. Some of, as Americans, some of us are facing grave health emergencies. Some of us really will die from pneumonia, uh, most likely, because that typically is the cause of death for an older person who has reached a ripe old age. The lungs simply don't work like they used to. A sickness comes on the body, and, and pneumonia is typically the statement on the death certificate. They died of pneumonia. So pneumonia is coming for you, and one day we will all die. Shouldn't we take preparations? Well, yes, you go and you get a vaccine for pneumonia. I received one. It's good for about, I I think, 10 years. Well, we take such things seriously. We we take the care of our bodies seriously. We want to eat a little better, and so we eat a little bit more oatmeal. We 
might eat a little bit more honey nut Cheerios because supposedly they're good for our heart. We take great pains to go and visit the doctor and and maybe even go and get a physical each year and to take a, a drug that might lower our cholesterol because we stand in danger of some form of heart disease. We take vitamin supplements because we are concerned about deficiencies in our bodies or in our minds. What do we do? We, we are concerned about these things, and so we, we take precautions. Well, shouldn't we take precautions over the cons- a concern for our soul? Aren't our souls of value to us? In fact, our bodies will be laid in the grave, but our soul will ascend to God. Shouldn't we take serious care of our soul? Yet have we neglected our soul? Even when we're popping our daily geritol, we have neglected to take up the word of God and to pray, to seek the Lord, to repent of our sins, to walk in newness of life before him. I tell you, dear friend, of far greater importance than your dietary supplements, your prescriptions, is your hidden life with God. Shouldn't we take seriously the the threat that Satan represents to our faith? Are any of us impervious to his temptations? Are any of us able to say with Peter, who, who failed three times, Lord, even though everyone else abandons you, I will never leave you. Can you say that? Rather, I think that we're much like what the hymnist says, prone to leave the Lord, prone to wander. Now, if that's the case... It's not just simply because of the sinfulness of our own soul, of our own hearts, and that's true, but also because of the suggestions of Satan to come. Come away. Let you have your ease. Come and relax. No need to be no need to be on the alert. Take your rest. There's no warfare going on right now. But there is a warfare waged in our lives. Open hatred from Satan who's prowling around seeking to devour you. And shouldn't we take that seriously and be sober-minded over it? Shouldn't we be watchful and alert for the wiles of Satan? I'll tell you, if, if you would, if you and I would but take a few moments and make certain that during the course of the week we, we were on the alert against Satan over areas of our lives that we are particularly weak in, we will see whether or not Satan has been there. The suggestions that we can just give in the suggestion that, sure, I've had I've been a number of good weeks and I've abstained from being angry. Surely I can be angry over this. Or surely I have avoided temptation and I have not given in to lust. I think I've earned just a little bit, a little bit of a moment for sin. Well, those are the suggestions of Satan. He would mislead you like a pirate. His desire is to tempt you to sin, to get the tendrils of sin so entangled around you that you simply give up. Sinner I have always been, sinner I always will be. And to convince you that obedience is impossible and convenient, far too difficult, and then we're compromised and our testimony is destroyed, our relationship with the Lord has been marred, even though he is faithful when we are unfaithful, surely still we experience something of an absence of God in our lives because of the, the presence of sin, because of, the, 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 because of our commitment to sin, because of our neglect of the means of grace. 
So what are we to do? We are to act like a soldier. We are to be vigilant, observant, put on the armor that we take up on ourselves. Even a modern-day soldier has this. They'll put a Kevlar helmet on. They'll put on coverings. Our U.S. Marine son has a Kevlar vest. They have all sorts of things that they put around themselves to protect themselves. They have hearing protection when they're shooting large guns. Great big weaponry. We are to act like a soldier. We, We are to be vigilant and observe and take our place in the front lines of the church and serve the Lord. We are to be watchful and and to pray. What did Jesus say to his disciples? Watch and pray, lest you fall into temptation. Watch and pray, lest you fall into temptation. We live in a day and age that says, yield to temptation, you're worth it. Uh, Give yourself whatever your appetite deserves or whatever your appetite calls for. Whatever you want, no one can tell you that you cannot partake. No one can tell you that you are not, that you were not made this way. No one can tell you that you should not act this way. No one can tell you because you know in your heart of hearts what you want and you're, you're worth it. Come and be free from such tyranny of the devil and yield to what God says and the way that he has made you and what he has made you for. He has made you to glorify him, to worship and enjoy him, and to be in his house, experiencing his grace forever. He says further, not only that we are to resist him, and not only that we are to be of sober spirit and to be on the alert, but he also says resist him. How could I possibly resist a prowling lion? Now, maybe you have a weapon. Maybe you have a license to carry. Maybe you have an ability, an an uncanny ability to defend yourself. But but in the face of a mature 900-pound lion, what are you going to do? If you're by yourself, you have no one else with you. Maybe there are some people in the world who can do such a thing. They can kill a roaring lion. But but Satan described analogously as a roaring lion seeking to devour you is not someone that we can destroy. How can we possibly resist him? By standing firm in your faith. By not yielding an inch. Faith in ourselves? Well, I can do it. I'm, I'm good enough. I've got the strength for this. I'm stronger than I've ever been before. I'm No, it's not faith and work already completed. We can't make a protest to Satan and say, I've come so far, surely you're not able to get me. I've seen so much work done already in my life, there's no possible way that I would go back to where I began. Well, it's quite possible. I'm confident because I've done so much, because so much work has been done in me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm impervious to the attacks of Satan, and I can achieve a certain level of perfection, as our Nazarene brothers and sisters believe, that one day I am sin-free. That's not possible in this life. It's not possible. It's only possible in the next one, where we are glorified in the presence of God, And we enter into unutterable joy with our Savior. But here in this world, we are weak of heart. We are physically weak. 
We are unable, as the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 outlines, we are, we, we are unwilling and unable to do the things we desire to do and the things which we do not want to do. It is part of our experience that we fully engage in them and we are ashamed because of them. So how do we, how can we possibly resist Satan? And of course, little children, young people, maybe you're afraid of this idea that yes, there is, there is such an, an adversary called the devil who is prowling about seeking to devour your faith, seeking to move you away from the faith of your mother and father, seeking to cause you at some point as you mature and grow to see the the foolishness of being a Christian in the world. But if, if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, the truth is that the, your adversary, the devil, cannot ultimately touch your faith. He can cause you harm, but he cannot take away the grace that has been given to you in Christ Jesus. You need not fear. Stand firm in your faith. When Satan comes and causes you to doubt, when he causes you to doubt the goodness of God, what do you do? You go back to the essential things you believed at first. You go back to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember his person, his work, his offices, his cross, his blood, his righteousness, his everlasting priesthood, that he ever lives and intends to intercede for me without cease. We are weak of heart. The world is tempting. The devil is busy. We might as well despair, shouldn't we? But but our Savior is mighty. And that's what Peter said in chapter 4 and verse 8. He's mighty. He intercedes for us. He has conquered death and hell and Satan. He was cast down and defeated according to Romans chapter Revelation chapter 10. Jesus is a Savior who sympathizes and defends his people. He is He's our king, according to Hebrews chapter 4. Faith grabs hold of him. We cast our weight on him. Isn't that what the Apostle Peter said at the end of chapter 4? You cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We need to cast our fearful anxieties on him. Our fear of the devil. And our weakness when the devil comes and suggests our full embrace of sin. We are to entrust ourselves to him. He gives us full confidence that through him we will have the victory because because he is a mighty conqueror. It is the shield of faith, according to Ephesians 6, that extinguishes every fiery dart of the evil one. And it's through him, the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, that we can do all things. Well, this morning my intention is to hopefully help each of us this morning to consider whether or not... Am I resisting the devil? Am I resisting the devil? Am I grabbing hold of Christ as I ought to? Certainly all of us would raise our hand if we said, you know, who of us is coming up short in these things? Who of us has vast portions of our time and moments when when we are not alert, not sober-minded, and we are not clinging fast to our faith? who of us sometimes forget to think of the Lord Jesus Christ and whose sacrifice and death and cross sometimes mean less to us than our earthly desires and loves. 
How can we know that we are resisting the devil and grabbing hold of Christ? Each of us, I think, knows in our heart of hearts, is there ever any conflict of sin? Do you ever contend against sin? Has there ever been a moment when you've fought hard against temptation? Have you ever experienced a a, a portion of time in which, yes, that besetting sin, you did not own it. It it was not prevalent in your life. You had victory over it because you were trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's because God is at work in your soul. And he will not let you be overcome by sin or lose you because he is a gracious God and he is a preserving God who keeps all who are his own. Jesus prayed and said this, Of my sheep I have not lost one. Of all whom you have given me, Father, I will not lose one. How can I know that I'm resisting? How can I know that I'm grabbing hold of Christ? Is there ever conflict against sin? Is there ever sorrow when I do give in to sin? Do I still repent of those sins to God? And even though I feel almost nothing, and even though I'm so discouraged because I continue to sin in the same patterns that I... I've sinned ever since I was a younger person. Nevertheless, I can see areas in my life where I have been delivered from sin. Can you see such patterns? Have there been victories over sin in your life? Are you struggling against those that still remain? Is there conflict? If there's conflict, there's life. If there's conflict against sin, if there's sorrow godly sorrow leading to repentance, there's life. There's life. It's their struggle. Examine yourself and see whether or not you've wrestled against some sin, feeling the enticement of it but for a moment, but enabled by the grace of God to put it off for a short time or even permanently. And that was God's grace through his Holy Spirit, secret, sovereign work. When you're tempted to yield to anger, pornography, or sex of any kind outside of heterosexual marriage, covenant, self-gratification of any kind, theft, deceit, hatred, tempted to forget kindness, tempted to be harsh rather than gentle, tempted to return a word of anger rather than of peace, to walk away from Bible reading, to walk away from prayer, to neglect prayer, to not come to church, to not honor the Lord's day, Those are the areas of frontline spiritual warfare. That's where you are to contend against the devil, against Satan, who would do you harm. If he can get you to stay away from church one week, think of the enrichment of the word of God and the songs that we sing and the fellowship of God's people that you will lose out on. We far too easily, far too quickly abandon the means of grace that God has provided for us. And so what must we do? We are to resist him. We are to be on the alert, sober-minded, watchful. Resist him, firm in your faith. This is a deeply encouraging thing to us this morning, is it not? Yes, you can resist the devil. There's no such thing as the devil made me do it. That's a common catchphrase. I I heard that in grade school by non-Christians. Well, the devil made me do it. 
Well, usually, according to the word of God, sin is found within our own selves. The seed of every sin is in our heart. And if in fact we sin, surely Satan has suggested it. Every sin is a suggestion of Satan. But but surely the seeds of every sin are within ourselves. And it's our desires to which he has has touched precisely the point of, of prodding and of contact. And we have responded But yes, you can resist the temptations of the evil one. You can resist the devil. Yes, you can. Because the spirit of Christ is in you. No, you can never say, I'm I'm this way. I was born this way. I'm never going to change. Well, you don't believe in the God that I believe in. You don't believe in the God of the Bible if that's your, your perspective. You fail to see him in all of his glory and life changing power. Because the power that is at work in you is the same power, we are told by the Apostle Paul, that was at work in raising Christ Jesus from the dead. And if you say, well, I cannot and I will not change, well, there are two things going on here. One, you don't believe in the raised Christ Savior, Jesus. Secondly, you love your sin and you're not willing to leave it. That's why you say, I will never change because you don't want to. If you wish to be what God has made you to be, God is faithful. He is faithful and he is, does not neglect his work. If you desire to be free of reigning sin, then you go to Christ and you trust in his transforming power and he will deliver you. It is that simple. You can resist the devil and his temptations. All of us, Christians, the world over, are daily taking up our cross, following the Lord Jesus Christ, and resisting the evil one. And so take this seriously. You are in spiritual warfare for your soul. You have an obligation before God. God, your Father, your Creator, your Savior, is commanding and telling you, be on the alert, be serious about your life, and resist the devil. And so we must do it. Yes, you can resist the devil and his temptations because the spirit of Christ is in you. He dwells within you. You're never alone. Is he, by his power, is able able to overcome sin and temptation? We reject the notion of victimhood, that we can never change our stripes, that we can never change who we are, that we are simply victims of our circumstances. No, you are not. power of God is at work within you if you are a believer. You're not the same today as you will ever and continually and eternally be. He will change you incrementally day by day until one day when we ascend before God, our soul with absent our body, when our body is interred in the grave and our soul ascends to God, he will then in the blink of an eye sanctify and make us perfectly holy. The sacrifice and the offering of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not powerless because God is work because is, because God is with us. Martin Luther is a wonderful hymn that we probably should have sang today, and I, I didn't choose that hymn, but we've chosen a couple of others. Although this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim we tremble not for him, his rage we can endure, for lo his doom is sure. One little word will fell him. Grace. Mercy.
forgiveness, pardon. You're not worthy to ascend to God. Yes, I am in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not worthy to receive grace. Yes, I am because of his eternal love. You're not worthy to be forgiven of your sins. Yes, I am because I have an advocate with the Father. You're not worthy to be pardoned and taken to the unutterable bliss of heaven itself. Yes, I am because the Holy Spirit of God resides within me. And Christ gave his life for me. And you know what? There's a greater encouragement in our passage even than that. You're not the only one. We live in an isolating world that says that no one else experiences what I experience. No one else can identify with me in my lived experience. Well, those are nonsensical psychobabble words of our generation. The truth is that there's not there's nothing new under the sun. We all face the same or similar temptations all the time. You may think, well, I'm alone. No one understands me. No one can identify with me in the troubles that I face. No one experiences the level of temptation that I do. Oh, yes, we do. (laughs) Oh, yes, we do. It may not be the exact same thing, but we face similar things. And that's what Peter says knowing that the, but resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. The same way that you suffer for them through the temptations of Satan and contend against him in spiritual warfare, everyone else is doing the same thing. You're not alone. Everyone else struggles with temptation to sin, lust, Loneliness, anxiety, depression, physical ailments and illness. Yes, laziness, all of it. I think we miss out on so much by not uniting ourselves to the body of Christ, to the church. You're not the only one. We, but but, but we'll, we'll often think that way if, if we never participate in the body life of the congregation We're all in various stages of persecution, personal struggle, trials, troubling circumstances, wrestling against the flesh and and, and sin, the world, enduring under the temptations of Satan, wrestling every single day against the same sins. All who are faithful are struggling with the same things. Your situation is no more unique than the rest of us, and you would would know that if, if you were living life in the church. God is delivering his people daily from similar sins, from greater sins than yours. And you would know that too if you took up residency in the church of God, if you lived amongst the body and you wept with those who weep and you rejoiced with those who rejoiced and you bore the burdens of your brothers and sisters in Christ in prayer. Don't fall into the sin of holding yourself aloof from the body of Christ because you think your sin is greater deeper, more complicated, beyond the reach of the compassion of your brothers and sisters in the church. I remember being at seminary, and we were we were all to introduce ourselves in summer Greek. Summer Greek is the hellacious class where over the course of two weeks, you're to learn how to read Hebrew, or Greek, pardon me. <laughs> See, there you go. Uh, and, and you were to read Greek in the course of two weeks and to learn its alphabet, the paradigmatic verb and all the rest of it to go with it. You could open your Bible and begin to read and translate. 
It was overwhelming, but so they thought the way to build brotherhood was to take the men and women who were in the class and let us all introduce ourselves and share our testimony. And for me, it was, well, I was raised in a Christian home, and I'm thankful to God for his grace. He saved my soul, and I believed in his son. But there are so many others who I felt myself just a little jealous of when they'd speak up and they'd have the cred of some more significant sin. I did drugs for 40 years, and now by God's grace, I'm going to seminary. Yeah, that that I wish that was in some way reflective of my life that I could say, look what the Lord has done. And well, no, I, I think that's foolish. We can get into such a foolish perspective that we think, well, this person must be much more of a Christian than I am. And we take great pride in our level of sin before we were converted, but we cannot do that. Our sins are no more complicated or deeper than any others. We have all offended the living God. We've all sinned against God, and the soul that sins shall die. And Peter says the same kinds of afflictions, or the word that he uses is emotions. The same kinds of emotions... The same kind of emotional suffering, the same kind of emotional upheaval is being experienced by your brothers and sisters throughout the world. The full scope of your human experience is being experienced by other Christians throughout the world. You're not alone. So come in the church and learn that fact. Don't believe Satan's lie from the mouth of Eliphaz in Job 5.1. Call now, is there anyone who will answer you? And to which one of the holy ones will you turn? He's trying to say to Job, Job... If you if your condition is so egregiously aggravated and you're in such a physical mess and you've lost everything, surely you're under the judgment of God because we don't see godly, holy people suffering like this. So you must not be holy. He was dead wrong. What Job needed to do was come into the church and say, I feel the hand of God so aggravated against me. And others could say, I have experienced that in my life too. I have had seasons when it seems as if God has turned his face away from me. And I have felt him to be so far away. The same kinds of afflictions and suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Don't believe that lie. No one can sympathize with my weaknesses. We tend to think that way. Nobody can sympathize with my weaknesses. But we forget Hebrews chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things just as we are, yet without sin. Yes, you do have a sympathetic high priest. In conclusion, one of the great consolations for a believer is that when we experience affliction and struggle with sin and we're beset with the temptations of Satan, fully engaged in spiritual warfare, we're not alone. We are part of the body of Christ, his church. There's encouragement there. There's challenge, accountability, godly discipline, fellowship. We are in the greatest danger when we are separated from the body of Christ and our fellow believers, and we are alone by our own choice. We contribute to the weakening of the church by not using what God has entrusted to us, to our stewardship for the building up of the body of Christ, and 
when we ourselves are weakened due to the lack of the immediate resources of others around us who could encourage and help and equip and call us. And further, more than that, we are not fulfilling our obligation to one to another to allow and to permit and to encourage the gifts of the others in serving us when we are weak and in need. So, dear friends, let us be on the alert. Let us be of sober spirit and resist the devil. Let's pray.